Father, we give you thanks again for this day that you have given to us. Lord, we trust that you are here with us by your Holy Spirit. We thank you that even though we're in a different situation, that you are here, that you are present with us. We thank you, Father, for giving us your word. We pray that you'd open our hearts and minds to receive it. And so we ask you in the name of Jesus to pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. Ask, Lord, that you give me words to speak, but that my own words and thoughts might be forgotten. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I invite you to be seated. <coughs> I think as uh, many of you are aware, Veronica and I just got back this week from a, a short uh, holiday trip um, to Canada. We went uh, back to Alberta for a, a celebration. It was Veronica's parents' 50th wedding anniversary. Actually, their anniversary was earlier this year, but they chose um, to celebrate it on this past weekend. Um, I'm not sure the exact reason, other than maybe to honor our anniversary or something, which was also on the weekend. And also it was her dad's birthday, her... Um, niece's birthday, her nephew's birthday, and her dad's birthday. So it seemed a reasonable time to get the gang together. But uh, many of you, I think, have had those kind of celebrations. You know, a, a significant birthday, significant anniversary, maybe your wedding, something like that. And you know that you don't start planning that the, a couple days before in fact, um, Veronica's parents started planning at least a year ago, and probably more than that. And a lot of thought went into it. What kind of decorations, what the location would be, how many are going to sit at the table, what's going to be on the table, are there going to be table centers, not table centers, are we going to have wine with supper, not have wine with supper, are we going to have supper, are we going to do something different? And you go through all these things because you want it to be an incredible celebration. And part of it is, what is meaningful to them? Because it's their party, and they can cry if they want to. Or, or, sorry, wrong, wrong thing. They wanted it to be a celebration of who they are, what their life has been, what their marriage means to them, what their family means to them, what their friends mean to them. But they also want it to be fun for the guests. Because why would you have a party where nobody has fun? And so they put a lot of thought into things, and, and, and part of that, too, is who's going to be here? And so the invitations went out. We, we got a written invitation that we should come. We were going to come anyways, but, you know, they sent those invitations out. And sometimes it's significant who gets invited. And so they invited their friends from church. They're very involved with something called Marriage Encounter, and so... They had their marriage encounter friends who were there. They are very involved with something called engaged encounter, which is a preparation for marriage. And so they had engaged encounter friends who were there, and of course family. Now the invitations went out some time before the event took place. And so some people, you knew you were getting an invite. And in fact, there would have been something strange had we just heard that this event took place but that their eldest child was not invited. So we sort of expected that. But sometimes an invitation comes and you get a surprise and you go, I got invited to this? Wow, what an honor. I don't, I don't know if you've ever had that experience. 
you know, invitations, there's an implication to them. Earlier this year, I, I received an invitation I wasn't expecting. It came in an email. And um, some of you may know, I, I have a, a friend who's the bishop of the Diocese of Iba, I-B-B-A, which is a diocese in South Sudan. And um, there, uh, Wilson, the bishop, came to visit us last fall. He wouldn't come in December and January for some reason, but, but he was willing to come in September, October, and visited us. And then I went there in December because they opened their new cathedral, and so it was just a marvelous time, and met some of the other people. It was an incredible celebration, and, and it was just amazing to be part of it. And then shortly afterwards, they elected a new primate, a new, like, like their presiding bishop. They, they call it a, a primate. And I got this invitation to go to Juba in South Sudan to be there for the installation of the new primate. I was overwhelmed to receive this invitation. Trouble was, it was right around Easter. I had just traveled in December. It, it's very expensive and convoluted to get to South Sudan, especially from, from Canada. And, you know, a whole host of things we were planning already for, you know, coming here. And it, it just didn't work. But just being invited was something that was so uh, unexpected and profound to me. And so I had to send the reply back to say, I'm so sorry that I can't come. I would like to be there. We'll pray for you and so on. And I thought I would give my personal greetings in um, July, June rather, when I saw them in Jerusalem because they were all planning to come to the conference, except they all got denied visas so they couldn't come. And so here was this, my plan to, you know, I couldn't be there for the event, but I would still respond to the invitation. It just all kind of fell apart. But invitations are something that can be very significant, and they're something that we're used to. But that invitation, going back to my, my in-laws, or even those in, in South Sudan, is you think about who you're going to invite. You think about how many are going to fit into this space. And sometimes that's the definition of who gets the invite, isn't it? Or what you're serving. Right? If you're serving steak and lobster, you might invite 10 people. If you're serving hot dogs, you might invite 200. <laughs> but you plan and you think about what the event is going to be and then you drop your invitations and you send out the invitations and then you begin the preparations just before they arrive. So it's all going to be nice and ready. You have a bunch of invitations in the scriptures, but they don't work that way. I don't know if you if you heard those. So the first reading is from the book of Proverbs. And wisdom is personified. And so wisdom is written of as though it's a, a woman who is preparing this banquet. And the scripture says that wisdom has, has cooked the meat. She, she's slaughtered the animal. She's prepared the meat. She's got the wine ready. Then she sends out the invitations. Can you imagine if you were having a party? You're hosting your 50th wedding anniversary... So you make the meal, you get the meal out, you lay it out on the table, you set the drinks out on the table, you go, oh good, everything's ready. What's missing? Oh yes, some guests. Mm. Hmm. Uh, could you go down the street and start knocking on the door? We need some guests. And that's essentially what the book of Proverbs says. Wisdom has prepared this feast and she sends out her servant girls saying, come. But notice who she invites. Wisdom doesn't invite. She doesn't say to the servant girls, okay, 
Go and get all the people like Howard who have PhDs. All the intelligent people, all the CEOs, all the people who have it all together. No, wisdom says, go find those who need me. Go find the foolish. Go find those who need wisdom. And so here's this invitation. The table is ready. If you need it, you can come. You are welcome to come in. And there's no wait. There's no anything. It's, it's, it's all ready. It's prepared. All you need to do is come in and sit down, grab your plate, grab your glass, and enjoy the feast. Because it is a gift for you. And the invitation is yours if you want it. It's for everyone. And Paul writes the people in Ephesus, the Ephesians. He's also speaking about an invitation. You may not see it that way at the beginning, and yet it is. He says, you then, be careful then how you live. If you want to know why it says then, read the, the previous bit from chapter 5. This is where we find out if I have any skill. <clears throat> be careful then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So do not be foolish. Oh wait, there's that word again. Be wise about the way that you live. Don't, don't be foolish. Well, how do we not be foolish? Well, there's an invitation from wisdom. But Paul goes on to say, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What is the invitation? Come, live a different way. Live a different life. And be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can live this different life. You can't do it. I don't know if you knew that. You cannot live according to God's standards. Well, at least I don't think you can. I would, uh, I've done this a number of times. I always hesitate briefly. And that is to invite every perfect person who has never made a mistake to raise their hand. Because we would, the rest of us would like to acknowledge you. Going twice? We intimately know our weakness and our failure. We justify it sometimes. I'm just human, but that's part of the problem. Being just human means we fall short of God's standard. We can't do it. And yet God invites us to live this different kind of life, this different way of being. And it's not a way that conforms to the world. If you look around at the world and you look at what God says, they don't match. We're constantly being challenged and undermined in trying to, to walk with God. I mean, if, if you want to see, just watch the news or, or read the internet. It's enough to drive a person to drink, isn't it? Oh wait, Paul covered that. I, uh, I had a... F oh, this may surprise you, I had a friend. Um, one of my friends, there's a better way to start that. Many, many years ago, Veronica and I had only been married um, a year maybe. And it was midnight, something like that, we were in bed and the phone rang. And I got up and answered the phone, and it was a friend of mine. And I could tell he was not in great shape. I could tell he probably had been drinking. And as he's talking, I just wanted to find a way out of the conversation, because I wanted to go back to bed. 
But did you ever have that little voice? Actually, not even a little voice, that just something that says, no, this is a, this is, something's going on here. And I listened to him for a few minutes, and I, and I said, you know what, I'm, I'm coming over. So I hung up the phone, and I put some clothes on, and I drove across town, and we spent the whole night together. And we talked about all kinds of things, and yes, he'd had a few to drink, and a couple more while I was there. But as the night went through, we talked about all kinds of things. We went for breakfast, um, McDonald's, I think, in, in the morning. And it was somewhere around then when he told me if I hadn't come over, he was going to kill himself, and he told me how. And so that was one of those moments where, you know, the Holy Spirit alarm bell was going. And a couple of things have stuck with me out of that. One is, when that sort of, that little voice kind of thing is there, you need to listen. The other thing is, is kind of through the course of the evening and the conversation at that time in his life, um, you know, it wasn't uncommon to have more than one uh, alcoholic beverage and maybe some other analgesics, um, non-prescription, shall we say. And what he shared with me is the reason he did those drugs and drank the booze is because at least when he was high or drunk, the pain went away for a while. That stuck with me. The reason people do some things is it just numbed the world. And Paul says, yes, the world is an ugly place sometimes. And it undermines us and it hurts us and our lives can be terrible. But he said, don't, don't get drunk. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Drinking drugs, whatever kinds of things the world offers us. Vacation, success, wealth. Whatever kinds of things, a, a nice place, go to the lake, go away with family, whatever it is that is trying to escape or numb the world is so temporary and transitory, and it only works until the next fix. Have you ever been away, you've had a beautiful vacation, and you get home from vacation, you go back to work, you go back to life, and after a couple of days you go, I need a vacation. But the truth of the matter is, no matter how many of, you, of those you take, sooner or later, you go back to life. And maybe you've been on a vacation where you need a vacation from your vacation. Sometimes it's who you're with, or sometimes it's what's going on. But God knows that. And what he says to us is, don't get fooled into thinking that you just can only numb the pain for a season. Or escape it for a little while. What he says is, I have an invitation to you. To come and experience me. If you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you don't need that stuff. So we have this invitation to those who are foolish, or those who are lost, or those who look at the world. And maybe this fits more. You look at the world and you just don't know what to do. Or you think about your family and you just don't know what to do. Well, God says, come to the table that's already set. I have wisdom for you. I have life for you. I have the Holy Spirit to fill you. It's not a temporary thing, so the very best of this world, it takes it and gives it purpose and meaning and makes it better. And if you don't have the very best of the world, I have something that's better than anything that's there anyways. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, you might say, but how? Well, there, there's this beautiful invitation. Jesus shocked the people he was with. 
This is, as, as you remember, we've been reading this section from John chapter 6 for a number of weeks. And it takes that time. I mean, it, it's, it's as bad as the Bible study in the morning. We got all the way through, we're on week 4, we got through verse 1 now. There is so much that Jesus had to say in that chapter that we need to take the time to think about it in pieces. And today we come to one of the parts that was the most hard to hear. Jesus said, if anybody wants life, they need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And it sounded as bizarre to the people of his day as it might to you. Was Jesus really saying, I want you all to be cannibals and to dig in? Well, yes and no. No, he wasn't telling the group that were gathered there, come and chew on my arm at this moment. But what he was saying to them is, I am the only source of life. If you want life, if you want to truly live, here I am. God didn't just give us a nice meal, that image from Proverbs of, of a nice piece of meat and a nice glass of wine or something. He gave us his very self. The only thing that can truly satisfy is being completely joined with him. And he gave us the means. Later, in the other, in the other Gospels, Jesus says something else about his body and his blood. You read it, you can find it in Matthew and Luke and Mark. At the Last Supper, Jesus takes the bread and he breaks the bread and he says to them, this is my flesh. He takes the cup and he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. He could not have made it more clear. He's given us a physical way that we can continually say, yes, I will be filled with you. Yes, Lord, I receive your body. I receive your blood. I receive you into my very being. In a few moments, even though we're not in that holy place, we're in this holy place. And even though it's, it's just the table, it's not the altar. And yet it is the altar. Because in this place, we will still meet Jesus. At least you are invited to come and meet Jesus. Now, we, there's a danger in receiving communion every week. Some of you twice a week, some, I don't know, maybe more. And that is the danger of familiarity. And yet, it is an invitation that is always open to us. This becomes a holy place and a holy moment where heaven meets earth. We offer God, the, well, my, my seminary professor said there are two acts of faith in the communion. One is that in that piece of bread, Jesus' body is there when we receive it. The second act of faith is that wafer's bread, and that's probably the harder thing to take. So that wafer, such as it is, becomes not just a wafer. It becomes the place where God himself is present and in that cup. So when we come, we had better come knowing and intending to meet with God himself. When we do, 
Wow. God pours his very being into us. He says, I hold nothing back from you. Would you receive? This is my gift to you. This is my invitation to you. The invitation is open. Come and receive. Now if you come not intending to receive or not intending to live for God, you're on dangerous ground because you don't take something holy and treat it with disrespect. Just not to say don't come. There's a reason we have confession. There's a reason we pray before we come to that place. There's a reason it comes at the end of the service. It's so that we take the time to pray, to come into God's presence, to hear His Word. Isn't that interesting? Wisdom says, come, I will feed you. I'll give you wisdom. How does God give us wisdom? He speaks to us through His Word. So do you want to be wise? Do you want to know what to do in a sinful, broken, messed up world? Do you want direction for your life? Do you want to know how to live? God said, great, let me tell you. And so it is that we need to know this and we need to understand it. We need to learn from it. And we, that's part of what we do when we gather here together as his people, is to spend some time reading his word and understanding it. Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. But he went on to say some things as you sing hymns and songs and spiritual songs. When we sing together here, it's not to fill in time. It's not so that you have something to do while the priest is doing something different. It's not to fill in time so we can bring the gospel book out and get ready to read it. It's not so that you have a nice musical interlude because you enjoy music. When we sing, you are a choir. You are a choir. And the point isn't really whether or not you like the hymn that was chosen, if it's your favorite hymn, not your favorite hymn, or if I was singing behind you and threw you off the melody and hurt your ears. The question is, did the audience enjoy it? That's a trick thought, because you're not the audience. You're the performer. You're the choir. The audience is our Heavenly Father. And when we sing those hymns, when we sing songs... The question is, did I mean those words? Did I sing it to Jesus and for Jesus? Did it fix my eyes, my thoughts on Him? That's what that's about. That we sing together in worship to Almighty God. But we're supposed to do that all the time. I have given people, sometimes people have struggled with things, spiritual things, there's impression, oppression kind of things going on in their life battling depression, all kinds of things going on, and, and sometimes I've given a couple of, of pieces of, of advice to them. One, get a hold of Scripture on CD or, or recorded. I, I guess be really old-fashioned on cassette, if you remember those. Or on CD, or now you can get it downloaded on a thumb drive or whatever it is, and just put the Scripture on so it's playing even if you can't even hardly hear it. Just let it play constantly in the background. Do that with worship music. There's Christian radio stations around here or put on some worship music, put on a CD, nice and quiet. Go to the internet, put on a streaming service, put it on and just in the background. You don't even need to be aware of it. But there's something about worshiping God that when it's taking place, it draws us into His presence and it changes, literally changes the atmosphere. 
So when Paul says, be filled with the Holy Spirit as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and be thankful for one another. Oh wait, we added another. As we do that, as we worship, somehow we open our hearts to the Holy Spirit and we can receive more. Be thankful for one another. We are part of a body. We're part of something. That when we belong to Jesus, we belong to each other. We don't get to pick our brothers and sisters. So we don't just be thankful for the ones you like. We be thankful for everyone, for one another, for the gifts that God has provided, for the things he's doing in one another's lives. And do you know it's hard to be critical of someone as you're being thankful to God for them? It's hard to gossip about someone when you're telling God how wonderful they are. And when we do those kinds of things, so we worship him, we read his word, we pray for one another with thankfulness, and we come and partake of what he gives us, God says, I'll fill you. The invitation is open. The table is ready. We don't have to wait for it. In this moment, right now, we say yes to him. And we can be filled with his presence and come and meet him. But wait, there's more. God doesn't just invite us. He invites everyone. John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39. The great festival is happening in Jerusalem and Jesus goes to the festival. And it says, on the great day of the festival, Jesus cried out, Is anyone thirsty? If anyone comes to me and drinks, Rivers of life will well up inside them. And John goes on to say, Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit who had not yet come because Jesus had not ascended to the Father. If anyone is thirsty, if anyone is thirsty, Jesus didn't say, if anyone of my disciples, if anyone of my apostles, if anyone who's really impressive, if anyone who can ride a bike, he said, if anyone is thirsty, let them come. Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1, 1 and 2, 1 to 3. Ho, is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and eat. Let him buy food and drink for no price. Why should you waste your life for that which, was, which does not satisfy? Come for free if anyone is hungry. Do you know how Peter came to Jesus? It was his brother Andrew's fault. Andrew came, was listening to Jesus. He rushes off. He grabs him and says, you got to meet this guy. Come and see. We have this sign in the bathroom at the house uh, here. It says, guests of guests may not bring guests. <laughs> Apparently, guests of guests. Guests can bring guests, but there's a limit. I'm not sure if that's specific to the bathroom. <laughs> I, suspect not. I think it's I think it's just because this house is so cool and you're having such a good time that we can only fit so many. That's actually the exact opposite of what the scripture says to us. There is no limit to what God gives. There is no limit to who may come. And so he says to us, invite. I've given you the invitation, but I've also given you another free ticket for you to give away. Invite anyone who wants to come. I'm going to mention that dreaded E word, evangelism. 
Evangelism is not standing on the street corner and shouting at people. Evangelism is not telling people why they're going to hell. Evangelism isn't the banging on doors. Evangelism is saying, come with me. I have found something so awesome. And you can all do that. When you have found something so wonderful, you just want the people you love to have it too. You've invited us to your homes. We've had meals with you. You've invited us to restaurants. You've told us wonderful things about Lake Fork, about Mineola, about this. Check this out. It's great. Check this out. It's great. Go to the nature trail. It's wonderful. Why do you do that? Because you love your town and you love us. You want us to enjoy the things that you enjoy. You want us to experience your hospitality in your home. And it's an amazing, humbling thing. Jesus is just saying to you to do the same thing for him. Come. Come with me. Last story, I think. Before we got married, I had moved uh, to Saskatoon to go to university. And I got involved in a parish, and I hadn't been there very long, and they announced that there was a young adult Bible study. And back in those days, I really was one. And so I thought I would go. It was on Friday night, and they were having some event, but it was a supper, and everybody was supposed to bring food. I, I basically didn't have food in my apartment. During the week, I ate on campus at, at the cafeteria. And on the weekend, I had healthy meals like um, chocolate packaged cupcakes and Coke. <laughs> you didn't know that, did you? <laughs> a combination of laziness and cheapness. <laughs> I could walk out my door of my apartment and across the street and there was a little uh, um, convenience store. So lots of times I neglected to plan ahead and so I didn't have something and being lazy, what, five bucks, cool. (laughs) So I went, I drove to this place and I had nothing to bring in. I had nothing to give. And I pulled up, I found the, the place, I sat outside, I watched people go in, and you know what I did? Being the introvert's introvert, I put my truck back into drive and I drove back to my apartment and finished my laundry. Because it was too much for me to go in by myself. I didn't know anybody, I had nothing to contribute, it's a potluck. So I saw some of the people the next week and I, I said, well, I came by but I didn't come in, I didn't have anything. And they said, Oh, there was so much. It was not a problem. Come with us next time. And when somebody says, come with me, it makes a world of difference than trying to work up the initiative to go in yourself. That's evangelism. Come with me. The invitation is open, and it's here. Veronica, would you come? Let's give this a go. So just, we invite you to uh, just listen to the words of a, a little song. And to hear the invitation in it, because this invitation is given to you right now here today. If there is any area of hunger or thirst in your life, Jesus says in this very moment right now, come. If you need wisdom, you need direction, you need the Holy Spirit, you need encouragement, you need life, receive it. And when you come to the table at communion, know that Jesus is giving you his very self.
Oh.